Hello, welcome back to Tough Rugby Podcast. Please announce good usual man in the studio, Zachary. How are you? Good, Telf. Um, another week, another pod. I'm looking forward to this one. No, we've got we've got a great guest on today. We've got Mike Prendergast on, uh, the racing backs and attack coach. How are you, Mike? Good, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. No worries, no worries. Um, yeah, so the, the way we usually start this series that we're doing at the minute with coaches and players is kind of Taking taking out taking you back to kind of your early days, but we're gonna focus more on your coaching career. So can you take us back into why when you kind of decided I want to kind of go into coaching and maybe is there any coaches that kind of inspired you or you or like pushed you into kind of getting getting your badges or whatever done? Yeah, I suppose um overall I suppose um I wanted to get into coaching from a young age, it probably happened by by fault in a way, because when I was with Munster as a player. Um, I got injured when I was about 23. I did my shoulder and then I did my cruise ship. It was one after the other. So I wasn't sure would, would Munster keep me on at the time because I literally played. I was out, sorry, for six months, came back, played a game and did my cruise ship in the first game back. So overall, it was over a year and I didn't know what, uh, as I said, I didn't know what the, the club Munster were going to do or, you know, were they going to keep me on or, or thankfully they did. But what it did is, I suppose, it got me thinking as well. And I always had a love for, for the game. And um, I suppose I would have been a bit of a student of the game growing up. And um, and you ask about coaches, you know, who... I, I don't know, was there any one coach? I think it was just the experiences I had. Um, and then I, I went abroad as well. And I saw, I suppose, different aspects and stuff. And that that kind of, I suppose, pushed me towards that direction of coaching as well as, as I'd already had, I suppose, in my own head when I was with Munster and... Um, and and just being coaches, coach sorry from coaches and from all over the world with all different philosophies and ideas and ways to look at the game, and I always found that kind of challenging in a in a good way, in a good in a, in a positive manner. Um, and as I said, sorry, just to go back to it, yeah, I, I got injured. So during that kind of year, year and a bit, I was about twenty three or four. I just coached um, at club level. In I, actually at the time, I was with I was with Gary Owen, and I just started off coaching their thirds and whatnot. Um, and it was my it was my first time. I suppose it's good to to you know I suppose to speak in front of groups and and start somewhere. I suppose you know and and that was an ideal place for me. And then as things went on, as I moved on and went back, obviously playing with, with, with Munster for a number of years, moved abroad. Mm-hmm. And as as I was playing, I was as as I said, I had it originally in my head that I would potentially like to coach. And I used just I suppose. You know, I pick up little bits and pieces from coaches that, as I said, over the years and, and drills and, and their ways of looking at, at different aspects of the game. And um, even when I went to Bourguin in France as a player, I, was, I suppose I was exposed to different, um, a lot of different ways of doing things with a lot of different nationalities in terms of player-wise and, and coaches. And I used to do a small bit with their academy, helping out with the nines. Okay. Uh, I went to Gloucester for a year and I did my coaching badges there. Uh, and also I did them in, in Ireland when I came back I finished them off um, and then I suppose look when I retired from from playing with Munster I went in I was fortunate enough I went in full time into Young Munsters which was a great great role for me um, as, I, as I said it was, it was when I finished up they, they, they offered me a four year contract in front of them or in front of me so um, full time director rugby with the club but also head coach and I was still playing a bit as well so there was that bit of fun aspect to it as well but um, and within that kind of I was there for four years within that four years there was opportunities as well to to go and visit clubs and visit different coaches I remember I went over to Conor O'Shea for example Dean Ryan 
and I got around the place a small bit, which was which was good. You pick up lovely nuggets in, in, in different in different clubs through different coaches. And also then I was with the, the Munster A team for the last two years of that, just on a part-time kind of okay. um, basis. You know, it was the B&I Cup. So uh, in kind of two days a week or whatever. Mm-hmm. So it was, with, it was Rob Penny was the head coach at that time. And, you know, he brought a different, I suppose, mentality and philosophy to, to Munster, which I really liked. Um, and then from that, I suppose I, 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 was, I was keen to get into the professional setup. Um, so I, I went out searching and made a lot of phone calls, did up my CVs and, um, and contacted a lot of coaches around the world. And fortunately, at the end of that, um, Bernard Jackman, who I'd kind of known through some of the, some of the players I played with, like Paul O'Connell and Alan Quinlan, would have been in, in contact and met him aware that I was looking. And fortunately, Grenoble, he was at Grenoble at the time as a defence coach and they were looking for a skills coach Fabrice Landrieu was the head coach over there. So I went over and met with him. And um, and at the start, we were just looking kind of for a three-month summer gig. And But I wanted to try and get into it full hog and move my family over and everything. And um, they, they agreed to it for a year. And then fortunately, it worked out. And I became backs coach there and then attack coach. And then moved on to Oynex and Stad and ended up here in, in, in wrestling. So, uh, so it's, as I said, picked up a lot of um, experiences on the way, you know. But... Uh, I'll always be hugely grateful to Young Monsters for giving me, I suppose, that opportunity. And it was a full-time gig with a, with a club at home, which was really, really important, you know. So, yeah, we actually, um, we actually had Bernard on the on the podcast. Mm. Um, so we have, um, so he he gave an unbelievable insight into Grenoble and the kind of French culture, mm-hmm. you know, rugby, and it was fascinating. Um, just for anyone mm-hmm. listening to this podcast as well, if you go and check it out. Um, it is it's a fascinating insight into French rugby um, mm-hmm. and so with Young Monster um, kind of it's a I suppose the foundation of your coaching career um, what was it, domestic rugby in Ireland was there much interaction with like schools and stuff like that or was it mainly with clubs and uh, there, those younger players through yeah there would have been a lot of there would have been a good interaction with schools and at the time my forage coach was called John Broderick he's he's um, he's coached around the U- uh, in the AIL for a number of years. Um, really good coach, and he was uh, he was the he was the head coach in, in St Munchens, which had been a rug- big rugby school. I was seeing Limerick, who produced the likes of Keith Earls, Marcus Horn, Donnick Ryan, all these players. So mm-hmm. there was that that link there. And then schools rugby, obviously in in Limerick and and in Munster would would be strong. So look, all the clubs are out there trying to get the, I suppose the best players through, and we um. I suppose we did we did as much as we could to get those players in and and because we knew I suppose me as being a director of rugby it wasn't just with the first team it was obviously the twenties or seconds team we needed to have um, a good foundation there and and we knew if we got a good twenty set up that you know that could potentially prolong and and feed into your your um, your senior squad and it's something that did as well you know but I suppose look looking at it as well having someone like John Broderick I was lucky because his his knowledge of school rugby was 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 top notch and um he would have known all the players so um so that was an interesting part that was something that i, I probably had to learn as it was going on because i was just coming out of professional rugby um and i was trying to input and instill i suppose a structure in, into the club that i suppose that would when i did go that hopefully that there would be some success that would follow as well you know and and to be fair to the club they've they've continued that way and actually my own brother is in there he's the head coach of young monsters so um okay. Yeah, yeah. So and, and a couple of coaches came in uh, 
before him as well when I left and, and did a very good job. So that's what it was all about, just trying to be sustainable for as long as we could. And, and that had to do with, with putting structures in. And as I said, that that those schools players coming out and going into to, to under 20s and then potentially on to, to senior rugby. The reason we're kind of chatting about schools as well, mm. um, one thing we've tried to ask numerous kind of people, um, guests who've come on the podcast is this, there's been, I don't know if you've known much about maybe school rugby now in Munster, but we're, we're Ulster men. So we've witnessed, we've kind of come up school there. We left like four years ago and mm. school rugby definitely has become almost professional in a sense. Mm. You have guys training, you know, five times a week and then a game on a Saturday or whatever. And we're just wondering, like, do you have any insight or any thoughts in regard to that? Like we know, we find that a lot more school players are more burnt out and don't maybe go into club rugby after school, the ones that don't aren't necessarily going to the provincial academies. Yeah, yeah. Look, I suppose I am. I have been removed for it for, for a number of years, so it's probably mm-hmm. it's harder for me to, to give an insight into it. But um, I, I believe that, the, yeah, look, even a couple of years back, I, I remember I was only gone a couple of years ago, Leinster schools was always, I suppose, that way they were they were probably a step ahead. Um, so competitive up there. There's you know there's so many strong money. playing schools, but um, the one thing they had, I suppose, within the schools, it did very very good structures. You know, and that that makes things a lot easier. You had ex professional players in there. You had they had S and C coaches probably part time and and uh, before anybody had you know, and and that was obviously a massive boost. And I suppose the rest of the provinces have been trying to play play catch up. Um, Look, you. The thing I you mentioned there about training five days a week. I suppose the thing is, if, if that's all well and good, but you, you need to train smart as well. Mm. Um, and I think maybe there there might be that bit of uh, maybe a mentality that you probably have these boys playing playing schools rugby, and they're all looking at potentially the Munster, the Leinster, the Connacht, Ulster, Crest, and trying getting in there. And if they don't, they feel nearly that they they didn't break through, you know. And for me, look, that that that's going to happen. Um, but I think if you don't get on, there, there should be other pathways through club rugby because just from my point of view, looking back um, on the league, I've, I've always huge man, fond memories as a player, but as a coach as well. And, and, and the level of it, the, the, the skill set in it. Um, and you would hope that, you know, we, only, we don't have a huge rugby playing pool at home. So every resource we need, and I think the AIL is something, a resource that, that should be used. So you might have a player, I remember going back to say James Coughlin, you know, he, he probably slipped through the net a small bit after schools, 20s and all that. And he was playing with Dolphin at the time and Dickie Kidney picked him up and he went on to be probably one of the most unlucky players not to play with Ireland, but a huge long career with, with Munster mm-hmm. and Poe. And I think he's a good example, you know. And even if we're only getting, you know, one or two every second, third year, it's still one or two professional players, you know. And um, and I think that's probably, yeah, as you alluded to, it's probably a bit disappointed that players do fall off, I, I, I think, you know, if they don't make it, there is that possibility of, of, of making it maybe a small bit later. Or if not, you know, playing the game that, 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 they, that they enjoy, you know, and, and there will be ups and downs. And when there is that down, those things can often, I suppose, make you stronger, you know. Mm-hmm. No, definitely. And there's there's countless of people that you hear about that have come through the club system. Like, I know Tyke Furlong's one that, that came through the club system, wasn't a schoolboy. Like, there's definitely, there's a few hidden gems. And then yeah. just, just going back to yourself, Kind of that process then of getting on well at Young Monster and then trying to maybe look for look for some more work. Is it the case of just getting like a rugby CV kind of together and just messaging all the people in your contacts book? Is it that simple and just? Yeah, it's a question I get asked a lot. Actually, it's a question I get asked a lot. It, it, okay. That's how that's how it materialised. Being honest with you, um, 
I, I did up my CV and I remember contacting coaches down in Australia, New Zealand, Alan Gaffney, guys like this, Tony McGahan, players, Jim Williams, um, you know, players in England, coaches in England, players that I knew, new coaches that played under certain coaches. And I literally, you know, knocked on a lot of doors um, because unfortunately in, in Ireland, I suppose, look, there's, there's four provinces, there's one national team. If you're an attack coach or a forwards coach or a back, there's only one role for each. So it's mm. quite limited. And I suppose I didn't have experience and whatnot. So um, for me, also having played abroad, when I played in France, I, I, I really enjoyed the top 14. And it was something I suppose I was, I was looking back over my shoulder. If I, if I had the opportunity to get back, especially the top 14, I, I, it's probably the place I wanted to go. And as you said, fortunately, through, through Bernard, um, that materialised. And, and um, nine years later, I'm still here. So, um, yeah, so it's been a great experience. Mm. Yeah, still here, still going strong. <laughs> and so in terms of, um, it says here, so you were skills coach at Grenoble then. Mm -hmm. uh, that that's a term I think that kind of gets thrown or not not a term but a role that you hear a lot I think oh he's this this person's a skill coach or that person was the skills mm -hmm. coach what exactly is a skills coach is it as simple as you just develop rugby skills is it is it is that kind of really simple basically yeah yeah you're, you're dealing with the players individually okay. with smaller groups sometimes I remember I, I used to go in early in the morning and and coach the academy their skill level. Um, I used to coach the, the so my first role was a skills coach, which was actually it was it was it was a good role for me to be honest. Yeah, I, I, I said I played in France. Um, what was it about five years? No, six years, seven years previously. Um, so I had a small bit of French, but it wasn't strong enough to coach in. So I suppose skills coach. Look, you're not presenting videos at the time. You weren't presenting videos. It allowed me improve my French, build up relationship. With relationships with, with the players in the club and a lot of those young players would have worked with it say, in the academy and whatnot as well they, they went on to play kind of two or three years later so as an attack coach I had that good foundation built up with them um, and basically yeah so and I also sorry the team that wouldn't play on on a Saturday you'd have to take their session on a, on a Friday afternoon um, so you're dealing with you know individuals um coordinating and and I suppose doing all programs for them you know from, from scrum half to you do your warm-ups warm-ups before uh, training warm-ups before matches so so there's a, there's actually there's a good role there for I, I think a skills coach is, is really really I really do think it's a really important role um, and it's something that as I said it was a great role where I started off and I did it for for one season, and then fortunately the backs job came up, and then from the backs job into the attack job into the attack role. So each year progressively, I suppose um, I moved up the ladder in a way. And each year I was improving my my language because at the end of the day, uh, when you're a coach, the most important thing is about getting your message across. And when it's in another language, it can be challenging um, when you don't when you don't have a full grasp of the language. So it was really important, and I I really I suppose look I. I tore into the French um, as much as I could and, and fortunately enough picked it up uh, as good as I could quickly mm -hmm. enough so that kind of and having been here as I said I had a bit of a you know I had a bit of a grasp bit of a grasp of the language so that also accelerated I suppose my my um my opportunity no it's mm -hmm. hard enough going over there and trying to trying to get all your sessions and all across in English never mind if you have mm -hmm. to speak French 
Um, just in terms of kind of learn the language and all, did you find it difficult if there was like English speaking players and then they would kind of respond to you in English when you were trying to work on your French a bit? Yeah, it. no, you wouldn't you wouldn't mind that. And I, I still do it. I still I coach in French, but if, if there's something that you know the, the boys mightn't understand or you know, if there's if there's a new player in that year or he might only be two years, I'll always if it's something that's quite important, you'll always um, sometimes I'll say it out in front of the group in English, there's, there's no problem with that, or I'll, I'll, I'll catch the player afterwards or the two or three foreign players that mightn't be aware. But once they speak, yeah, once they speak in English, to you obviously speak back in English then, but and there's no there's no problem over here that everybody realizes for those new players coming in, it's very new. And as I said, the most important thing is that that they're clear on on, on the messages we're giving, you know, especially me being, being, being foreign or whatever. but. I'll also as well translate then so far other coaches are saying something and saying that a lot of them would have decent enough English, but if they're unsure, I'll, I'll, I'll repeat it in, in English and, you know, there's no problem because that's the way, that's the way it needs to be done to, to get the points across, you know. Yeah. And then kind of um, moving forward, kind of your time at Grenoble and Oena, what did you find you learned the most in time in terms of, because we had, Bernard on chatting about mm. Grenoble and kind of the struggle sometimes to compete with these absolute powerhouses that are pumping in so much money mm. up in Toulon and Toulouse and stuff. Like, what did you learn about maybe that whole like even when you did get relegated and kind of mm. pointing back for those things? Did you feel that that's kind of helped you now when, when you are fighting at the top of a league that you know what it's like to be down near the bottom? Absolutely, and you appreciate it a lot, a lot as well. You know. Um... I suppose that the biggest thing when you're in, I suppose, a club like Grenoble and, and Ionex when you're when you're promoted is is about staying afloat. And it, it can be hard because traditionally clubs that come up do quite well till maybe Christmas and then just your your depth in your squad uh kind of hurts you afterwards, you know. And we did we did quite well for a number of years in, in Grenoble and, and the longer you're in the top fourteen, I suppose the better you can you you can recruit and what and whatnot. So uh, and that obviously helps you, but from an overall package for me, for, for, I suppose, where I started off to where I went and then, and then I suppose, fortunately being here with, with a very, very good club like wrestling, um, you appreciate it. One and two, there, there's a lot of learnings. There's, I'm, I made mistakes. Absolutely. When I was in, uh, when I was in Granola, when I was in Oynex, uh, technically, tactically, of course, I, I think every coach would tell you that, but there's great learnings in that. And there was hard learnings as well, you know, there's a lot of times you're coming home there and in, in, when you're with Grenoble and Oynex and you're getting the bus and you're arriving back at five in the morning on a, on a Sunday morning or a Saturday night mm. and you're up next day and you're taking 30 points or 40 points and you're trying to go in and be positive enough about a video. Um, so they're, they're tough times and that might happen two, three weeks on the blow, on the, on the bounce, sorry, because, you know, you could have a, a tough little fixture list where you have, as you mentioned, as you alluded to, to lose or away and you might have Montpellier the following week away on the bounce and then you might have a home game against Clermont which would be tough you know obviously they're all very tough games but as I said there were there were great learnings for, for me anyway personally mm-hmm. and um, move, and then we talk about kind of being perhaps in a smaller club you moved to a bigger club Stade Francais um, what was your what was your thoughts behind that? You only spent a year there. Um, what what was your experiences at, at Stad? Obviously, a a big rugby powerhouse um, with some notable notable players. Um, mm-hmm. um, what what was that like? Kind of moving then. You, you know what? Overall, the year the year we went in, we actually 
the previous two years, Stade Francais, I think they just managed to stay up. Um, so they did a couple of years. Gonzalo Casado was there. They won the league in 2015. I think he's there for another two seasons. And then Gonzalo left, go to Biritz. And did a kind of a, a tricky enough, I suppose, uh, season or two that they were fortunate enough to, to, to stay up in the end, especially the season just before we, we went in there. And the season we went in, we ended up eight. I remember we were three points off making the top six. Look, with the players, absolutely you'd expect it. But I suppose there had been tough times there for a couple of years. So we were probably going in there and, and repairing stuff or trying to repair stuff. And um, I suppose build it back up, as you said, as a, a big rugby powerhouse. Um, it, it was, uh, as I said, overall, from when, you, when you stand back and you look at it, you kind of think that, um, it wasn't a bad season overall. We, as I said, we, we just I, I came up short of top six, and that's what the, the goal was. Yeah. Um, and then I was actually I was on my way down to to Toulon because the head coach Patrice Calazzo, I would have played him in, in Grenoble or sorry in, in Gloucester. Uh, he contacted me to see would it be interesting going there, and um, I was almost on the way. And then just the way things, I suppose happen and timing and look and whatnot. Um, the attack coach here in Racing was was uh, joined up with the French team with Fabien Galtier and it was kind of late, happened around May or so. So uh, Ron Nagara was in, in Christchurch obviously at the time and he had been here and they, they called him to see what the what the story was and he was going to La Rochelle. So I think he kind of put my name in for, for, for Racing as such and it kind of just materialised like that. Laurent Travers, the head coach, contacted me and um, I spoke to him and I came over and had a look at the facilities and, and et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I suppose, look, I, I won't lie, I, I, I think this was, this was a, a good move for me to, to, to come here. Um, so the, the Toulon, I suppose, move didn't, didn't happen. But um, the other, I suppose, being honest with you, there are a point of it as well, which, which doesn't happen a huge amount. But... Um, and I had moved around and I've, I've, I've three kids as well. So uh, moving them from school to school over a couple of years was, wasn't easy either. So um, there was an offer of a four-year contract here, which was, which, was, which was, I suppose, look, it was that security as well, as well as being a, a top-class club with great players. And um, all you have to do is come here. I'm here at the moment. All you have to do is come here and see the, uh, see the setup here. It's, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. So, um, so that's kind of, uh, I suppose, where I went to. After the, the stad, um, the stad year. But as I said, look, every year, and I go back over to four years in Grenoble, the year in INX, year in, in Stad Francais, there was huge positive, maybe negative learnings there as well, or, you know, so. Mm. No, definitely. And just in terms of for us, kind of who maybe we're, we're both Ulster fans and also we're maybe not as invested in top 14, like, would the rivalry between Racing and Stad be like a Leinster, a Monster? Like, is it? Is it yeah, like- yeah, it's 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 pretty uh the der- le derby it's pretty uh it's pretty strong all right yeah 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 we played them actually last week there was um we, we came out the right side it was a good atmosphere a good crowd there but there would be big rivalry yeah traditionally over the years absolutely yeah and so was there any beef I suppose you kind of moving across clubs or was it just more it was a great opportunity for you kind of they uh, yeah it was just. Uh, yeah, and I, I, I left that in, in on good terms and okay. um, Heineke Mayer was there at the time and had a great relationship with, with Heineke. I suppose maybe just our, our, our rugby philosophies were, 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 were a bit different. Okay. Um, I still speak to Heineke quite regularly and 
on WhatsApp and whatnot. So um, it was it was more so got, I suppose got to do with that as well. Um, I had one philosophy and, and Heineken maybe had a had a bit of a different one, but um, and I suppose the the thing was when when I came and I I met with Racing and, and I suppose what they what they'd spoken to me about and just their the real attacking philosophy. They're playing obviously at home in a in a in a disco uh, in a disco <laughs> hall there is people look at us. But um I knew I suppose that would be if that was the the move that that could come off as was that was the one that was most attractable and that's fortunately where I ended up. Mm. No, definitely me and Zach are we're huge wrestling fans. Like this just the style you said about rugby philosophy, the way they play the game is just kind of for the fans and obviously result results show that. I guess kind of the classic question, I know of any podcaster and all, you can't probably get away from it. The main man, Finn Russell, what what is he really like then in terms of kind of your relation with him, relationship with him, kind of how he wants to play the game? Do you get on quite well, Finn? Yeah, I get on very well with Finn. We we'd have a quite similar, I suppose, philosophy, which is which is a very positive thing, especially when he's one of your number tens. And I suppose he, he's been a ten that started, obviously, most regular over here. Um and yeah, just from I suppose from day one, we we I suppose we uh we sat down, we spoke, and, and we'd see a lot of the kind of similar things on the pitch and, and the way we want to play and, and the way we want to set up. And uh, yeah, he's look, he's he's a brilliant guy to work with. He's 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 great fun to work with as well, which is which is important because it's a long season here and you need to enjoy it all, also as well. Um, but he's he's got a great outlook. He's 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 a guy that you know. He does a lot of work behind the scenes in terms of his video analysis and stuff, but he, he doesn't go screaming from the rooftops. He's more, he's very subtle about, you know, just three or four little points he, he'll speak about. He's got good French as well, so which, which helps an awful lot to, to, I suppose, from a communication point of view and even building his relationships with the players and stuff. I mean, he's a very, very popular guy here. Um, and look, he's been, he's been huge for us. He's been outstanding for, for us as long as I've been here and, and, and the year I, I, before I came, I know he had a very good season as well. So he's probably the 10 that, that suits us. Um, and his relationship, as I said, with, with some of our outside backs, like Jeremy Vakitawa and Kurt Lee Beale and Hilfiku and Wanimoff and these guys, is, is he, he, he's, they get him and he gets them, if that makes sense, So uh, which, which helps an awful lot. And um, look, there's a, as I say, Finn sometimes looks like a guy that, that's wrapped up in a Saturday um, but he's a guy that puts a lot of work in, in behind and especially a lot of work on, um, from a point of view of analysis on, on his video and um, as I always alluded to we, we people think he rocks up and is it all off the cuff there's, there's a system there and, and I would be the type of coach that would, would you know encourage I suppose players to, to express themselves within that system or as I call it framework and it's something I suppose that, that probably suits Finn as well, you know. So there is, there is, he knows what options he has, um, and there is, as I said, there is freedom in that, and we'll encourage it, and we'll, you know, and that's where it, for me as well, we're a skills coach, we've skills coach here as well, full time, and um, you know, we're we're constantly trying to, I suppose, obviously the best decision, but um, having good skills helps that within a within a framework. Mm. It's really interesting that you talk about frameworks because I guess um, some of the critics of perhaps Finn Russell and his style, for example, people who wanted Dan Bigger to start in the Lions tour would say Dan Bigger kind of, he, 
plays the system. He's very safe. He he's mm. not going to throw a loopy pass in his own twenty-two, which could be intercepted. So mm. we're going to go with Dan Bigger. Um, whereas Finn Russell, you know, he could throw a loopy pass in twenty-two. It'll be intercepted and whatnot. Like, do you do you, do you try to curtail him or? In to try keep do you feel like it's easy? Um, what am I trying to say here? Is it easier or with Finn? Is it more keeping him within the framework? Or not, 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 not really, not really. I think if you do, I think if you do that, I think if you do that, you take a lot away from his game. So, okay. as I always say, I, I, I'm not going to be a coach that's going to, I suppose, stand up in a video and you know, Finn threw one of those passes that he threw against England a couple of years ago, he threw one last year against, um, threw one against. against yeah, but against against that front, say true one, and the whole world is talking about it. When he threw against England, the whole world is talking about it. Uh, against Exeter, it was actually something to be fair that we'd identified. Um, we'd identified there was space. It was, it was probably thrown from a bit for bit uh, further out. Uh, you know, when we look back in it. But as I said, I, I I don't think I think if you take that stuff away from Finn, um, obviously you can you can look at certain aspects. Yeah. Um, and we would sit down and he's very open to that and you know we'll have a conversation about it but in general uh, he's a player that you you don't want to take too much away from him because that's what he's good at yeah um, so as I said I'm not going to be a coach that's going to stand up there and when the pass goes in or or it doesn't you know you're going to go you're going to stand up and you're going to clap and say bravo and, and you know the next clip you show and it doesn't go to hand you have a cut off I just it's not my I suppose um, way of, of, of coaching it's more about um, look a lot of it would be one-on-one stuff but I, I I wouldn't I'd want to take anything away from what he does as, as, I suppose yeah. it's, what, it's more about building on top of what he's good at and, okay. and um, from a from a decision point of view if there is one or two little bits that we do feel just encouraging that and saying look what about maybe we'll have a look at it at, at, you know at potentially doing it this way and, we we generally find uh, find happy medium ground or whatever. But look, we've both quite similar ways of looking at the game, and, and when you have that, and then from a personal point of view, Finn is a great fella to work with, and he, he's he's a brilliant talent. Yeah, actually, you kind of just answered the question that was in my head, which I couldn't verbalize, which is kind of how do you manage Finn Russell? <laughs> how do you do? Mm, so, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a really yeah. fascinating um, insight. It really, really is. And suppose mm-hmm. in general, and you and you know what? That's that's Finn. But you, you, that's Finn. One player you talk about someone like Jeremy Vakatawa. You don't want to take the, the strengths away from them. That that's their strengths, yeah. you know. So okay. so one pass. I know. Look, every pass ten out of ten, ten passes or ten. Decisions aren't aren't always going to be right, you know. But you look at Finn, and as I said, uh, majority of, of his decision making, of his passing, of his short kicks are generally on the money. It's probably when it yeah. doesn't come off that's when everyone jumps on, and that's kind of yeah. I suppose that's the thing that I wouldn't be part of. I wouldn't jump on that. I would more look at it and say, right, what what are we looking at here? What do you think? And potentially the next time it might be done a small bit of a different way, you know. But it's, it's not just Finn. It's it's you know. As I, as I alluded to a couple of players, they've got they've got special talents and and you know once you've a framework, leave them express themselves in that framework. That's look, that's just my my philosophy of, yeah, of that's, the that's, coaching. That's fantastic. It really is. Um, so even like so, you 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 want players to express themselves, play to their strengths within within, your, within the framework. To, I guess to summarize, um, but like I've got the squad list up here for Racing in the back line. You have mm-hmm. Finn Russell, you have Fakatawa, you have Teddy Tomah, you have Kurtley Bale. 
big personalities, incredibly skillful players. Mm. Um, I guess, like, how how do you manage just so many kind of big personalities kind of in that back line, um, if, if that makes sense? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a question, again, people, a lot of people would ask you, but they're actually, they're, they're genuinely easy guys to, to mm. deal with. Um, I just think once you're consistent and once you're honest with them, they'll be like that with you, you know. Um, and again, building up those individual, I suppose, relationships is something that's, that will be a big part of my coaching philosophy, getting to know the players and um, and and how they work and how they react to, to, you know, how they react to situations. Is it better show one or two of the boys something collectively in front of everybody or, you know, show one-on-one or potentially, which which I'd often do is show one-on-one stuff and then explain it to the group or whatever it may be. But those 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 boys, those, as you said, maybe big personalities, they they just want to be coached. They want detail. They want, uh, as I said, they want a framework that will make the game easier for them. And it's within that, it's, 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 it's the ingredients within that, mm. I suppose, that separates the good players and the good teams to the others. So, um, but from a from a management point of view and dealing with them they're and they're great fun to 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 work with as well you know they're um they're all very tight um it's a very good good atmosphere here I suppose look the biggest thing just what we want is we want to win something and that's they won the league in wrestling won the league in 2016 we've lost three Heineken our Champions Cups there in the last what five years so including one last year so haven't been far away semi-final last year we haven't been far away but far away isn't good enough for a club like this and that's probably the one thing that is is really driving the boys we want to win silverware and I know everybody does absolutely but when you're that close you get you mm-hmm. it kind of drives you more and more and as I said the, those boys are they're, they're a pleasure to deal with and you know what I, I, I'd be the type of coach would be quite open <laughs> so I like I like them to, to give input and if they've any ways of looking at things or philosophies or, or ideas or strike plays or whatever, I, I'll always listen to them as well. And I think that's important as well to, to build that trust and that um, and that, sh- that sharing, I suppose, you know. And, and I think once you work like that, players in general will, will respond. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. And I think a key theme throughout this whole podcast is, is what you're saying about like relationships and building relationships with players. And although you're kind of the, the backs and attack coach, there's so much more to your role than just showing Finn different starter plays or showing the back three, how, how they want them to counter-attack, whatever. But what my question is, is like, how does that then fit in with what the forwards are doing? I know back in me and Zach, schoolboy days is very much forwards at one side of the pitch, backs at the other, and then you come yeah. together and do a team run. Kind of how do yeah. you get that kind of continuity and structure with the pack? Or is it very... Mm-hmm. It's it's within the system. They're they're a massive part of that system, um, and they're you know they're they're I suppose they're they're the players that are going to win you gain line, and it's what we can do uh, to help them. So things like you know little bits of animation. If you're working in pods of three, you have animation out the back that will help your boil carrier. Um, there will be a big onus as well on on our rock, which which I I would coach. Uh, I was fortunate to work with Paul Paul O'Connell in, in Stad and the same system Joe Joe Schmidt implemented in Ireland. Um, so everybody's quite accountable for for the roles around around the rock and around the systems. And I try to tie them all in um, from the forwards' point of view, backs' point of view. So 
they've um, forwards themselves. It's, it's not just backs and forwards. Obviously, or strike plays. You want I want a philosophy of it's the only time in the game, especially off a scrum, how you know the opposition is set up. So the objective is to, to score off, it. if not as much gain line as you can, and that's straight away helping our forwards. And then we get into our system straight after it. And, and as I said, they're each and every one of them are accountable for for all the roles one through to twenty to, to fifteen and twenty three when when they come on, you know. So um, it's not just I suppose backs and forwards, but we rely on them to to get good gain line and give us a good set piece, and then we try and score from that or or, or vice versa. Or sorry, get gain line to help the forwards in the next carry, you know. So it's very much all, all working in tandem. Mm. I kind of will scratch our back if you scratch ours type thing. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah, no, that that's all that's all fascinating. I guess just kind of wrapping up the pod here. I know we're a bit tight for time. I, I know it probably is a is a silly question, but what's kind of the goals this year? Is is there more of a focus on Europe than the top fourteen, or is it very much going after the double? Yeah, it was the one thing I suppose that that I that I that stood out for me when I came here was was how much because I suppose over the years traditionally you would we would have seen French teams and. And maybe the top 14 was, was probably, sorry, not maybe the priority was top 14. And when I came in two years ago here, I, I, I couldn't get over the drive for, for winning a Champions Cup. And um, as I said, in October last year, we just came up short against uh, against Exeter. And look, it's like anything, anywhere, any club will tell you they want to win every trophy possible. But there's there's definitely a huge focus on, on the Champions Cup here. Absolutely. Which is which is great. Yeah, so it's almost like you're the Man City of rugby, where it's kind of or you want the you want the champions or the Europe so badly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Look, top fourteen is huge to, to every yeah. club. Absolutely, it is. And, and Racing ran it, won it. Sorry, not not too long ago, so they had that 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 taste. But but I suppose when you lose three finals in in, in five years in Europe, um, and a good few of the boys have, have are still here that have lost the three. You know, actually, when Lorries are. Or back row. He's last four. He last one with a uh, B Ritz as well. So that's quite tough to take. So those yeah. things, those things drive on. But I, I noticed the first year I came in. I remember we played Saracens in our first game, in our first pool game. And I remember arriving in on the Monday, and I, I hadn't, I suppose, experienced Europe yet with with, with a big club with, with in in France. I had obviously through Munster and whatnot, and even my playing days with Gloucester and and Bourguin. But uh, when I came in, I remember coming in that Monday and I could just feel the energy and the boys bouncing. And I remember saying it to, to Zeeb, to Simon Zeeb on Dunica, I was saying, boys look like they're, and they were saying, yeah, because they'd obviously spent a year or two previous to that. And they said, yeah, you'll see things now for the, for the Champions Cup really, really ramping up. And and they were 100% right. So I hope it'll be the same this year. And hopefully we can go one further than, than back last October, you know, but every team is getting better also. Mm. Yeah, fascinating, fascinating. And so, Mike, just one final, I guess, mm. question before we wrap up. Uh, quickly, you spent, uh, you've been in professional rugby since 2013, and obviously a time before that with Young Munster. Um, you were director of rugby at Young Munster. Do you ever see yourself kind of, um, kind of going up, not up, maybe in terms of the role, but up in terms of the up in the box? You know, kind of, would you ever see yourself as a head coach or? A, Director of rugby of a professional outfit in the foreseeable future is um, that something on your radar at all or potentially potentially down the road it's it's you know um, it's not anything that's on the radar I suppose at, at the moment yeah, that's something maybe I just I, I enjoy what I do and I love attack 
Um, and I think to give full, real focus of attack, it's, it's, it's fairly full on when you're doing, I suppose, backs and yeah. attack. If you're yeah. a head coach or, or a director of rugby, I think the more experience you gain, that would probably help you. Um, mm-hmm. But as, as of now, as I said, I'm, I'm happy enough. Look, that, that feeling could change in another two or three years. I might feel that um, I'm, I'm ready potentially for that, for yeah. that role. But as of now, I'm happy enough what I'm doing. Mm, fantastic. That's great. Great well, stuff. Thank you very much, Mike, for coming on today. And really good, luck, good luck with the rest of the season. I'm sure by the end of the season, hopefully we'll hear some good news from Racing in terms of trophies and stuff. But good luck and I'm sure we'll catch up soon. Yeah. Thanks a million, guys. Good to talk to you. Cheers. Oh, All the best. Well, Telf, another another pod, another fantastic insight um, into not just French rugby, but um, rugby coaching in general. No, Zach, I kind of said to you before we, we started this series is, I don't know, three episodes will be up by now. Um, it, it's more about trying to get more coaches on because coaches are honestly as, as important as the players. No, the players do it on the pitch, but it's kind of the brains behind the operation and Pendergast yeah. has clearly got a real rugby brain on him, especially things like when he's talking about rugby philosophies and different things like that. You can just tell, like, kind of programmed differently. And if you want to be yeah. one of them, you have to be programmed a certain way in terms of how you see rugby. I know, like, we were chatting even before we came on here, like, how we were saying, like, that question of, okay, is being an attack coach or a backs coach more like you're just their mate offering advice? But like listening to Mike there, like he's molding Finn Russell, and in, in in a sense he's kind of mold like keep obviously letting him express himself, play freely, play his game. But at the same time, he's he's kind of in the background, you know, kind of molding that or a Teddy Thomas or a Fakatawa or a Curtly Bale, some of the best players in the world. And also, was re- what I find really poignant is the fact that those big personalities, the personalities were like. I just wonder, I would love to know the comparison with football. But like the fact that they want to be coached. I'm pretty sure he said that. He said they want to be coached. They're there to be coached, uh, which is which is interesting. Um, I find that I find that really fascinating. Um, I think we look as 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 fans, oh, the, the big players in the world, the Boden Barrett's or whatever, the Teddy Thomas or the Finn Russell, they just, you know. They're just there to just they turn up because they're that good and they just play their game and they're fantastic. But actually, there's so much working behind the scenes, and critical to that is is the coaches themselves. That was interesting what he said about kind of video analysis and how much work the likes of you know Finn Russell etc. do yeah. when behind the scenes just looking up different teams, um, looking up their style of play, looking up what kind of Racing could implement, and it kind of is. That relationship, you honestly don't understand how important it is until you speak to someone, how important a, a coach and a player's relationship is. And then you can't get too far, you can't get too meaty with them where you mm. can't really be telling them off. And it's really a fine balance. and It's something that's really, really hard to do. And looks like from a racing point of view, they're, they're absolutely smashing it because yeah. the performance is on the pitch and they are kind of definitely one of my favourites for the the European Cup this year. They're definitely they're definitely up there. Um, Rassing between their players, coaches, um, and then obviously that home field advantage in Europe. Um, there could be a sense where maybe French clubs are maybe used to playing in, in their stadium now, uh, because it is so new, unique. But do you think of European clubs that have maybe played there a handful of times since they've been Rassing have been there? Um, that's going to play, I think, a big factor again um, this year as well, which. It's great. We're, we're approaching the rugby season. 
So Zach, are we gonna head maybe in the next twelve months for a wee disco in Racing post game? We disco here, get chatting the. <laughs> you never know. Um, well, I really want to take off the list as a racing game. Yeah, just yeah, really. you're you're right. You're so right. I just wonder if you could like kind of somehow link it with like a PSG game watching Messi or something. I don't know. Oh, uh, yeah, no, that, oh, dare to dream, dare to dream. We're maybe uh, getting out of budget here, Zach. Uh, yeah, we'll chat to Harvey. Harvey's the working man out of the three of us, so uh, he can you know subsidize us. <laughs> yeah, he, could, he could fund that trip, but. To anyone that that have made it this far, I hope you all have. Remember to give us a follow on Spotify. Uh, that'll be very helpful. Give us a follow on Instagram at the Tell Early Podcast and on at Twitter at Rugby Tell. And catch you next week, Zach, for another great guest. Looking forward to it, Tell. Thank you.